Fidelity High, the people you dig, the records they love. Keith Morris is a punk rock icon. He was a co-founder and original singer of the pioneering punk band Black Flag and appears on their groundbreaking 1979 debut, the Nervous Breakdown EP. He was also the co-founder and frontman of the Circle Jerks and is the frontman of the punk rock supergroup Off with members of Red Cross, Rocket from the Crypt, and Burning Brides. Additionally, he is a member of the band Flag along with former Black Flag members Chuck Dukowski, Des Kadena, and Bill Stevenson, as well as Stephen Egerton of The Descendants. He has also appeared in the major motion pictures Repo Man and Sid and Nancy. Last year, Decapo Press published his anticipated memoir, My Damage, the story of a punk rock survivor. It received critical acclaim with the LA Weekly calling it an illuminating read, while Men's Journal called it an insightful and expansive look at an unconventional life. This is Keith Morris, and my fidelity high is Love It to Death by Alice Cooper. Let's party. I bought this record because I loved the cover. I was going through a period of time, you know, we, we, we purchase records sometimes just based on what's on the, the, the jacket. You know, I'm going to hold this in my hands. I'm going to be looking at it. And I'm looking at these five freaks. Like these guys look like something out of a circus. I've never seen anything like these guys. Here's this guy in the middle, surrounded by these guys that look like dwarves and giants and midgets and drug addicts. And they're, they've dropped acid, and he's wrapped in a cloak, and he's wearing a woman's blouse, and he's sticking his thumb out from underneath this long, lengthy piece of fabric he's wearing. He's sticking his thumb out like it's his penis. I'd never seen anything like it. There, there, there's a light, a single light shining down on them, like a, a stage light. Or if you, if you actually went to the circus and you were watching the three rings there would be a light shining down on the guy that was, he's the head guy who uh, says, ladies and gentlemen, over here, we've got the elephant that breathes fire and is going to go on a rampage and stomp on the woman that swings on the trapeze and all sorts of fun stuff like that. Um, The album that I'm talking about is love it to death by Alice Cooper. And uh, Alice Cooper, they're all um, guys from Arizona, uh, you know, so they're, they are a bit sunbaked and a bit uh, sunburnt, uh, deep fried. Then they'd move to Detroit. And I guess um, in that move to Detroit, uh, they probably picked up some stuff from bands like the Stooges and... Um, the MC5 and the Amboy Dukes, even Bob Seeger, early Bob Seeger, and um, the, these guys. Uh, I'd actually read somewhere that they swipe stuff from some of these guys, and it's like, you know what? Even if they did, they did a, an amazing job. 
This record rocks from start to finish. It gets ugly. It gets dark. There's some really twisted, like insane scenarios on this. And it ends with a uh, track that was written by a guy named Rolf Harris, an Australian matey um, who was famous. Actually, he had a, it was a little bit of a hit here in the United States. Timey Kangaroo Down Sport. Timey Kangaroo Down. Take me Qualaby back, Jack. Take me Qualaby back, yeah. But anyways, um, I'm a huge fan of Alice Cooper and the guys that he plays with. When, when, when at this time um, you say Alice Cooper, you, you mean the Alice Cooper band. Alice Cooper would not be, Vincent Fournier would not be who he was if he did not surround himself with the guys that he surrounded himself with. His band, these guys, for about four or five albums, right up there with Creedence Clearwater, right up there with Steppenwolf, as some of the greatest rock bands, loud music rock bands, party bands in the United States. When I bought it, it was a brand new record. I was 16 years old, and I was up, I was up for the party factor. I, I was up for the f- freak out. Um, you know, right around this time, I would also uh, be grooving on some Deep Purple and, um, you know, all sorts of other fun stuff. I, I grew up with the Beatles and the Who and the Kinks and the Hollies and AM radio and the British invasion and moved into uh, Steppenwolf and Grand Funk and all sorts of fun stuff like that. You know, a lot of, a lot of, uh, um, when I, when I started my drug experimentation, when I started smoking pot, when I started dropping speed, I moved away from a lot of the music that I'd been listening to. And I, I wanted something more, aggressive, uh, something more biting, um, just something that was um, certainly going to uh, irritate my parents. And this Alice Cooper album certainly fit that bill. When it comes to the punk rock movement, uh, we were always um, wanting to hear uh, more aggro, in-your-face, louder music. Uh, we, we lived here in Southern California, and we were getting buried with the uh, Laurel Canyon sound. And I don't mean the, the early Laurel Canyon sound, which was, you know, produced some of the greatest albums ever recorded. You know, we can talk about the birds. We can talk about Buffalo Springfield. We could talk about Arthur Lee and Love. Um, we could talk about the Doors. Those are those are all amazing bands. They all made amazing records. But Laurel Canyon started to get watered down, and it all of a sudden became, you know, rather than who's got the acid, it turned into who's got the wine coolers and who's got the cocaine and. Um, you know, let's go get our hair styled and let's get our cars 
polished and buffed and shined and detailed and we're going to drive up and down Sunset Boulevard and and, and we're going to be driving in our convertible so we can wave to all of our friends and uh, oh hey look at us um we 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 needed an alternative we needed an alternative to all of that crap now when i say crap i'm i'm not like dissing what happened because some of it's actually pretty good but um who needs to own the eagles greatest hits that that's that's retirement home music that's muse rock music critic music we 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 wanted to just rock we we wanted stuff to be on fire we wanted smoke bombs and riot on sunset strip we wanted loud in your face music I, I believe that would be one of the reasons why I'm sure Pat Smear would uh, head to a record, love it to death. I'm sure Don Bowles, who played drums in the Germs, I know he was there because he was over there in Arizona. Yeah, we were, there, there was just too much Fleetwood Mac Eagle stuff going on. You know, and that, all that stuff has its place, but not anywhere near what we were doing. The thing that we have happening with the, the Alice Cooper band, they're a bunch of freaks. Uh, they, they obviously look like their girlfriends are the ones that um, either design their clothes or uh, purchase their clothes for them. And over the course of their first two albums, Easy Action and Love It, uh, not, not Love It to Death, but... Um, Pretties for you. They're they're kind of struggling with song structure. Maybe not struggling. Maybe that's just what they wanted to do. That's what they were creating at the time. This uh, mixture of uh, acid and um, psychedelia, and there are. Um, little bits and flourishes of, of the psychedelia on Love It to Death. Not like the first two albums. When, when they, um, <clears throat> I guess when they started creating Love It to Death, they, they had started working with Bob Ezrin. And Bob Ezrin was going to play a big role in w what they were going to do for the next I believe four albums because they became one of the biggest bands in the world. They were certainly one of the biggest bands in America. And uh, part of this was due to the fact that Bob Ezrin came into the fold and he was the guy that said, why don't you try this rather than doing that? Um, let's, Let's add some horns or let's add a string section and see how it works out. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. We'll scrap it. But they, um, they were in the presence of a guy who probably really cared and probably saw the 
um, the abilities of these guys because they are really, truly a great band. And maybe they were just uh, tapping into little bits and pieces over the course of the first two records. Maybe they were starting to show signs of like really developing into like a, a really structured band. And that's what happened on Love It to Death. With, with Black Flag, we um, certainly referenced the Alice Cooper band. Um, I'm 18, Caught in a Dream, um, Long Way to Go, Stuff Off of Killer, You Drive Me Nervous. I mean, obviously, you drive me nervous. I'm about to have a nervous breakdown. Um, we we had a lot of different things that we were tapping into, a lot of different bands, a lot of different music. You have to understand, our guitar player was a deadhead. And maybe part of our situation in black flag was we don't want to do that you can listen to that as much as you want but we don't want to do that we're not going there um so we um rather than referenced referenced it as something that we wanted to take from we referenced it in a way that we would use it as an example of what not to take from. Um, as for the Alice Cooper band, when Chuck Dukowski joined the band, he certainly was a big fan of Alice Cooper. I know I was. I know Robo was. I know that Brian Migdahl, our original drummer, was a fan of Alice Cooper. So he could, it's possible, I mean, I think it would be, I think it could be correct to say that, yes, Alice Cooper, for about three or four albums, certainly uh, played a role in what we were doing. Um, it, it, it's been mentioned that Johnny Rotten in the Sex Pistols, Mind I'm 18, you know, and that's Alice Cooper's first hit. That was a, that was actually a pretty big hit for them. You know, and 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 the the great thing, one of the great things that happens for a band, if they have a hit and they're getting played on the radio, it just opens more doors for them. You know, these guys could have been a club band for the rest of their lives if they'd not written a hit. So getting back to Bob Ezrin and his work with the band, he he played a pretty big role in what happened with these guys. What was brilliant about the Alice Cooper band and their stage presentation was all of the stuff that they did while they were on stage. Um, not only including the the musicmanship of the guys that are playing in the band that are playing the music, this totally brilliant band, but some of the goofy stuff that Alice Cooper was doing. 
you know, he he uh, popularized the um, straight jacket. Uh, who have I? Who else have I seen show up with a straight jacket? Uh, Jack from TSOL. Okay. Um, then there there was the electric chair. I I was uh, um, I was a junior in high school, and one of the girls in one of my art classes. Um, the the Monday morning after the Alice Cooper band played at the Long Beach Auditorium, she was just beaming. She said, Keith, I went on a date and my date took me to see Alice Cooper and and I, I knew nothing about the music, but the the show was so great, all of the flashing lights and the smoke and the the they they electrocuted him in an electric chair on stage. I didn't get to see the Alice Cooper band until the killer tour where, where they performed at the um, Hollywood Palladium. And of, of course he, he did all of that stuff. Um, but of course the band were further in their career. They'd gotten tighter with the music. They, they'd become better songwriters it was it was incredible. I mean, I would go on to see um, schools out at the Hollywood Bowl. the The guy that flew in over the Hollywood Bowl actually uh, was arrested and fined. It was some big fine because he flew in over the Hollywood Bowl to drop women's underwear. You know, when you bought that album. It folded open like the top of a desk, and you had a record that was wrapped in a pair of women's underwear. That was pretty exciting. Um, and that show was incredible. But getting back to Love It to Death, Love It to Death is their, uh, I guess, would be their springboard. This was, this was going to change their worlds. Uh, it certainly changed a lot of people that listened to music. It ch certainly changed some of their worlds. Um, it, it's just a great party record. Uh, I, I'm kind of speechless right now because I'm holding it in my hand and I'm I'm looking at Neil Smith. He's sitting on a, uh, a block, but it looks like he wants to be riding a motorcycle. And you have, um, w when we talk about um, bass players, you know, uh, some of the first names that come up would be, say, Jack Bruce, who played in Cream, and uh, Paul McCartney from the Beatles. Um, I certainly would cite Dennis Dunway as one of, one of the great bass players, just an incredible bass player. You know, we would we would go on to see like a guy like Trevor Boulder who played in uh, the Spiders from Mars. He's also an amazing bass player. But Dennis Dunway is just his kicks on stage and his Gibson bass. Incredible. Um, when when looking at Alice Cooper and all of the things that he did on stage 
all of the theatrics and all of the special lighting and all of the crazy clothes and all of that stuff. Um, I wholeheartedly loved that and appreciated that, but I, I was, I'm, I'm not the guy to go there. I'm, I'm just, uh, just a regular everyday guy. Um, I, I align myself, uh, more along the lines of say Ray Davies. Um, he's one of my heroes. Alice Cooper is certainly one of my heroes. I mean, I wouldn't be talking about this record if he wasn't. All of these guys are Michael Bruce, Neil Smith, Dennis Dunway, Glenn Buxton, you know, these, these guitar players, they're certainly, um, underrated. You know, when, whenever we talk about great bass players or great guitar players, these guys, they, they're never in the mix. You know, when we talk about great guitar players, you know, everybody wants to say Eric Clapton and Jimmy Page and Jeff Beck and, you know, John McLaughlin and, you know, all sorts of characters. But these guys are, they're, Glenn Buxton's never in the mix. And he's an amazing guitar player. The, the same with Dennis Dunway. When we talk about great bass players, it's always people like Jack Bruce and Paul McCartney, you know, Jocko Pistorius. Oh, boy, you know. And Dennis Dunway never gets the, the, the props that he deserves. He's never in the conversation. And he's an amazing bass player. I'm, I'm um, floored by some of the characters in my band, Off, and some of the people that they cite as influences. I know that Stephen McDonald loves Dennis Dunway. But at the same time, <laughs> the guys in my band also like Rush and Kiss. And um, whenever uh, we have the opportunity to um, talk about the music that we like, Alice Cooper for me is always... Um, Alice Cooper and the Spiders from Mars, David Bowie and the Spiders from Mars, Mott the Hoople, and Deep Purple Mach 2. Um, but these guys, the guys in the Alice Cooper band, they're, they're up there with all of these other players. As good, if not better. I'm just kind of wondering why they all went their separate ways. Like, why did the Alice Cooper band just decide to no longer be the Alice Cooper band? I know that at one point there was, there was the uh, Billion Dollar Babies, which was a couple of the guys in the band. But after they, after this band just kind of disintegrated 
everybody just, I guess, ran off and started to do other things. I know that Neil Smith was became a real estate agent. That's kind of interesting. That's that's certainly kind of interesting. I know that Glenn Buxton had become such an alcoholic that he eventually, uh, I believe, drank himself to death. Now, I know recently the, the remaining members got back together, Dennis Dunway, Neil Smith, and Michael Bruce. And I heard the recording they played in some they played in some little record store somewhere. And I heard the recording of a couple of their songs, and it was as good, if not better, than it ever was. Like something, if you're an Alice Cooper fan, certainly something to look forward to. Now, I uh, also played a festival up in Mo- outside of Montreal, the Amnesia Fest, and Alice Cooper was playing, and he was playing with all of these new people. I think there was some female guitar player and a bunch of guys that looked like they just auditioned from their other bands on Sunset Boulevard over at SIR, and I was very... I like, I was very leery, like, I I don't know what to expect. I'm not going to have high expectations. I'm going to, I'm going to set the bar extremely low. And when they played, when they played the ballad of Dwight Fry, I, it was, it was, <laughs> it was mind bogglingly good. Yes. But I want to I want to see the last remaining members. I want to I want to see that band. Those are the guys that I want to see because those were the guys that I grew up with. Um, I uh, found myself in a situation where I'm sitting with a younger producer, a guy who has played in uh, No Age. He's uh, played with the Wrangler Brutes. He's played in a couple of bands on the East Coast. His name's Kundo, one of my favorite characters. Um, I, in fact, just saw him perform with Ty Seagull, who is Ty Seagull's one of my heroes, one of my modern, you know, young heroes. And we're sitting, uh, we were going to watch a, a football game, but my television wasn't working, so I said, hey, Let's listen to some music. Let me listen to let me um let me play you some music that I listened to when I was younger and these are some of the records that I think are some of the greatest records ever recorded. Now this isn't um rock critic guy exile on main street Keith Richards singing happy or what have you. This isn't um, Bob Dylan's The Greatest Poet of Our Time and his records are untouchable and, you know, it has nothing to do with any of that stuff. No band, uh, no Van Morrison, none of that stuff. None of that senior citizen rock stuff. None of that retirement home rock or whatever. I busted out Humble Pie, Rock On, I busted out Captain Beyond's first album, 
And I certainly played him Love It to Death and Killer. And he was in awe. He was like, this music has a vibe. This music has a breath. This music has a soul. This music... You, 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 you can almost, in, in some instances, hear the guys or actually m- maybe picture the guys looking at each other while they're recording live in the studio. And the, it's the first take or the second take. It's not like some layered thing where, well, I'll send this to you and you can add what you're going to add. And then you can send it to Frank over. Um, he He's living in London right now. And um, then Frank can send it to uh, Jaime, who's living in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, you know, and, and will be a band. You know, this I, I, I played him the Who's Next album. And I played him Deep Purple Fireball. He was, he'd never, some of these bands he'd probably heard of somewhere down the road, but had never listened to them. And I, I played him, the, I played him Smash Your Head Against the Wall by the Ox from The Who, John Entwistle's first solo album which was also the first solo album by any of the guys in the who and it's certainly the best album any of those guys put out on their own and kundo was just he was taken aback it was like keith this is this is amazing i need to come over we need to we need to start doing this on a regular basis and love it to death was one of the albums that i played him and he was in awe. It was like, you, you listen to the clarity and listen to, just listen to the vibe. It's like these guys, they're playing together. And it's, it's, there's something about it where it's not overproduced. It's not um, like this needs to be placed here and this needs to be placed over there. And, you know, the, the radio station's not going to play it unless the, the vocal is buffed a little bit. And, you know, it was just n- none of that kind of thing. None of this modern uh, tune-up, tone-deaf, whatever, auto-tune. N- nothing like that, you know. Uh, we got into this thing where uh, we we went through a certain period of time where the drums were the loudest thing because everybody needed this sex beat, everybody needed this bump and grind, everybody needed to pump their fist. You know, like everybody's in a stadium and it's got to be stadium big and large, and we will rock you and all of that kind of stuff. All of this stuff had a very it has an earthy quality, a very um, economical. Everybody, everybody plays what they need to play. Nobody's stepping all over each other's parts. Nobody's playing all over each other's parts. And and the, the love it to death is a perfect example of 
like just a great rock record, a great party record. And the, the starting point, if, if I was going to take this album and play it for a friend or somebody that I know that's never heard it, I'm going to start with track one and play it, play the entire album from start to finish. This, this isn't some marathon. You know, there, there are a couple of lengthy songs. One song's maybe nine minutes long, but it, it, it's also one of the greatest songs on the record. The Ballad of Dwight Fry with the guy getting out of the mental hospital and freaking out, standing on a street corner, you know, and then trying to go and talk to his daughter and trying to explain what happened to me. And, you know, it's just, maybe you don't know. Maybe you've never heard the album, but I start at the very beginning. Thanks for listening to Fidelity High. For an extended version of this episode, including songs from the featured artists, please visit fidelityhigh.com.